Well, as we begin kind of looking at the scriptures together, looking at this one facet of joy, I want you in your chats, whether on Facebook Live or on our site directly, uh, just to write in a memory of your mom, a word about your mom, something, it could be deeply meaningful or kind of humorous. It can be just a statement or a longer kind of idea. I'll tell you one for mine. Now, my mom was one that deeply impacted my faith and deeply impacted by the way she lived. So there are a lot of great things to share, but for some reason, I couldn't get past this one memory that I keep thinking about uh, that kind of shows a little different side of my mom. So, so one of the things you, you probably wouldn't know, and my mom is now with the Lord. She's gone uh, to be with him, but in the days she lived and all the years she lived, uh, I was Raymond to her. In case you don't remember the show, Everybody Loves Raymond, it basically means I could do no wrong. If you wanted to say something negative about me in front of my mom, good luck. Because the clause came out and the defense was there. She just thought I could do no wrong. Now I want you to remember that because it came to this one particular moment <laughs> when uh, we were just sitting at the dinner table. We were talking about our day and I mentioned to my mom I'd run into someone that she knew well. And the person said to me, oh, I haven't seen your mom in a long time. And I just kind of off the cuff, I was telling mom about this. I just said, yeah, that's my mom, social butterfly. She doesn't go out much. So I'm just sharing it like we did. Now my mom, who thinks I can do no wrong ever, immediately picked up her drink and chucked it in my face. My mom. I love that. It was just this feisty side of her that I never got to see. And even as I share that with you, it's, I'm so bummed that we can't be together today because it's like, I can't hear you. I can't hear any reaction or any response. And it's one of my coping mechanisms. One of the things I've done is I've literally picked up a little laugh track. So I'd say, she threw it in my face. That's how lonely I am. I just miss us being together. I miss being in contact with other people. And I bet you do too. I bet we're all dealing with a bit of this absence and what it means. I was on several different trainings this week uh, and two of them I was in, uh, Henry Cloud was guiding this different sections. He had different things to teach, but in one of the two, Henry Cloud, in case you don't know, is a psychologist to leaders. So he does a lot of leadership development, a lot of leadership, kind of the internal world of this. And in this particular training, he was talking about how important it is that we're, we're made to be in connection with each other, is what he said. And he used you know, some, some research. He talked about how uh, they've done research on monkeys where they'll leave them alone and shock them, give them this pain, and the monkey's cortisol level goes way up. Their anxiety goes way up. He said, if you just add another monkey into the room when they're being, experiencing the pain, it drops in half. And he began to just share how when we're together, something happens, not just with monkeys, but in humanity. In fact, he began to talk about the neuroscience of this, the reality that when we're together, things change. And he went specifically through some of the aspects of how your brain chemistry changes. Did you know that when others are around, when you're in connection, your creativity goes up? Did you know your ability to manage your emotions goes up? Did you know your very functions, your executive functions that are most central and significant go up and those that are least managed go down. In other words, we are better together than alone. Now we know this. One of the things I love about Henry Cloud is he's also a follower of Jesus and he talks about how we see this even more significantly as followers of Christ, that we believe God's made us to be in relationship so with that in mind, we're in this series about finding joy. And we're in this 
we've been in it week after week. We have one more week next week. And I just wanna remind you, like even today, simply I'm giving you this idea to begin with that we're together, we can find joy that we can't find alone. In other words, I believe there's actually something to be grasped and found when we're in connection and community that you can't find alone. Now to, to show that to us, we're gonna look very specifically at one letter that Paul, this early church leader, writes to these Christians in the city of Philippi. Now I wanna just tell you this, Paul is writing this in the midst of being in prison in Rome. All he has in his isolation is what he knows outside of it. And this is what he says in an early part of the letter. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why does he have joy? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I simply can show you, I mean, Paul has joy. Paul has joy as he thinks of others. Even in the midst of his isolation, he knows I'm not alone. I'm part of this larger family. When he uses the word partnership, it actually is a church word that you hear, especially if you've been around church in any recent decades. It's the word koinonia, which just means fellowship. You probably have heard koinonia, but fellowship. Oh, I'm going to hang out for some fellowship. Let's go to the fellowship hall. Let's get fellowship afterwards. Now, unfortunately, we've reduced it to shaking hands and saying hi. Paul means it in a sense of deep connection. That in a sense, he's writing to them, finding joy in the fact that he's recalling the connection they have. As I was reflecting on this this week, I was just sitting in my little makeshift desk and I put my journal out as I do every day and began to write reflections specifically about you, about our church, about this community, about our family, our faith family. And I wanna share a few of those that I found myself reflecting, but I wanna invite you as well. Perhaps there are things even where you're sitting today that you're thinking of, that you're reminded that we are a family, that we are in connection, that people will come to mind. And I'm gonna share some things that came to mind for me, but I wanna invite you to even write those in the chat, to share with others a memory, a thought, a person, an action. As I sat writing in my office, sat journaling about this, I just started thinking about, and I've been here 20 some years now, about the moment particularly that God gave me a vision that I would lead at one point in time, not knowing it would be here, but as we began to share this vision of becoming radically loving and growing together in Christ, which is our simple way of citing the vision God's given to every church, but uniquely to us, it means this, that simply we believe Jesus loves us so much that he meets us in the midst of our deepest failure. And the more we understand him, the more deep we understand that love is, not just in the moment, but throughout our lives, it deepens in its understanding. So we receive radical love. And then Jesus calls us to give it to others, to meet them in the midst of their struggles and continually remind them of his love and learn about it together, locking arms and growing together in him, maturing, growing up in it. As I thought about this and thought about our partnership in the gospel, our connection I began to reflect even on the early days. I, I pictured many of the stories I've watched even over these 20 years of meeting people that have come to know him, that have found that very moment where they discovered who he is. Both friends that I met 
through what happened and people that have been my friends that I've gotten to be part of, friends that many of you have been part of helping discover Jesus, many of you who have discovered who he is, I just started writing down names. I thought too, as I was thinking of what I would reflect on in the partnership of just how many of you live this out. I pictured you in coffee shops and cubicles, in driveways, talking to your neighbors at soccer games, in activities, just dispensed throughout, deployed how you love and reach out to others. You are living out the very mission. You're partnering in the gospel with us that many of you have just even learned to begin to pray for other people. I thought of how you become the hands and feet of Jesus. I see you in food pantries and supper houses, serving locally and going abroad, giving up livelihood to go serve those farthest and most forgotten. And I gotta say, one of the things I really thought about is when people are down, you rise up. Like I have been amazed. Every season that gets difficult, you elevate to say, who can I help and how can I help? And then I started thinking about the smaller communities in our church. As I was thinking, what would I give thanks for in the partnership? I I pictured many of our groups. I pictured things that have happened in there. I've heard stories and seen it where one person comes to a group and their spouse isn't a person of faith and the group just begins to care and pray and love and even invite them just to social events and activities. And over time, that person begins to see these are people I can trust. And before long, they're engaged. And before you know it, they discovered the radical love of Jesus. But I think our groups have done a lot more than that. I've watched groups hold together struggling marriages. I've watched them pick up the pieces after one's failed. I've watched our groups walk through life and death in joy and in sorrow in community. It makes me think of our mission to grow together in Christ. And I think of how many of you have developed a practice just of engaging in scripture, of reading, not for information, but for revelation. I wanna know Jesus and how I'm watching that grow over the years, how we're growing each of us together in this. I, I thought of this season, you know, when we first hit this, this shelter in place time and all this chaos took place, we had 21 days of prayer. Now I have to tell you on our best day, if we had a prayer meeting at church, we haven't seen very many people show up. But when we did this in this season at seven in the morning, we'd have 100 people online praying with us, cultivating their own lives. And in fact, one of the things I have had such a joy as watching is I think in this season, one thing that's shifted for many of us is church has gone from a commodity to a connection. I don't think anymore we look and say, what does the church give to me? We say, these are my family and friends. How do I grow together and really anchor into who Jesus is? I mean, I've thought of little things over the years, watching you again and again tell us about promptings and the way you help others. Prompting is just a thought that comes to mind. I thought of the many ways I've looked at you and watched people surrender things and even in my own life done it. I've seen people surrender shopping addictions, medication addictions, alcohol addictions. I've seen people surrender all sorts of things in their life from their desire to have money for other places they put their anchors. I was remembering one time recently, we were doing a series on the kingdom and challenging kind of our political climate and mess. And someone came up to me after a service and said, I am no longer identified as a Republican. I'm a Christian. My politics doesn't define me. My faith does. I go, man, I gotta tell you, your partnership in the gospel, when we surrender, 
It's powerful. But probably the most significant thing I found myself writing was thinking of all of you in your vocations and going, you have great day jobs and you serve and do wonderful things in what you do. But I watch again and again and again as many of you discover that God has called you to be deployed as his followers, wherever your environment is. You're not simply a doctor. You're not simply a nurse. You're not simply an orderly. You're not simply a medical assistant. You are a follower of Jesus who has a calling in every environment you go in. And we could list every profession in every way. When I see you go, I am called to follow Jesus and to reach others, to discover and dispense his radical love and to grow in faith in it. I just have to say, you can't have that joy alone. That's a joy that Paul says is together. He says, you know what? I pray with joy because you and I have a partnership and I don't want you to miss this. God started a good work and he's gonna carry it through. Like what I wanna say to you today, even before we go any further is, you and us together, man, we're the church. And together there's a joy we can't have alone. And there's a work God's doing and he not only isn't done, I think he's infusing something special in the midst of this mess and chaos. Some of you have said, it's been a time I've slowed down and great things have happened. And I go, that's wonderful and God's moving in it. Others of you have said, I'm busier than ever and more stressed than ever. And in the ache of that, God is with you and for you in it. And we are not alone. And that's Paul's, not sentiment, that's his understanding. And somehow, I found just by taking time to reflect, it hit me the very same way. Well, Paul continues to describe what this looks like throughout this letter. In fact, the letter of Philippians has more statements of joy than any individual letter. If you just wanted to go through the four chapters of Philippians over and over again, just look for the word joy and see what it's talked about to mean and to discover. This is what he says in the second chapter of Philippians. He's talking about these these friends, this family, this place he has partnership, koinonia, connection. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, by the way, it's not meant to be alone, it's together. If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Now this idea of complete is a simple picture in the the Greek language, it simply means to overflow. It's like taking something that's empty and filling it up. Paul's saying, you want to know how your joy becomes complete? You want to know how mine becomes complete? It's when together the church becomes one. There's unity in us. It brings a joy that's uncomparable, unexplainable, and overflowing. I love that picture. And he centers it around being one. And and I want to give you a picture of this before we go on, maybe a picture to center us. This is what makes our understanding of joy and completeness and community different than any other place on the planet. It's not born just out of who we are. You see, if it was born out of who we are, we go, where's it come from? But I want to take you back to just a simple understanding of who God is. In Deuteronomy, it says, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This word, echad. It's a complex meaning of one. It means oneness, not singularity in the sense of the number one, but a unity that brings one. And we understand that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That there's one God, uniquely the Father, uniquely the Son, uniquely the Spirit. One God, three distinct persons, one in complexity of connection. You see, that's who God is and we're made in his image. 
So it follows, if you follow Jesus, that you understand, you know why I need connection? You know why together there's joy you can't find alone? Because it's woven into the fabric of who God is. God is one, and yet God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a dance of the Trinity, of this oneness that he's crafted into you and me to go, guess what? We're individuals, yet together we make up what's called the body of Christ, this unique partnership and family. And you can't have that joy alone. And it doesn't come from a commodity that we do enough together. It comes from oneness, that our purpose is his purpose. It isn't Jesus, help me, as long as I get to these things. It's Jesus, we wanna be radically loving and growing together in you because who you are and centering around you is what brings joy to who we are. It's a great picture Paul gives us. And he continues on here to explain it even more deeply. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't put yourselves first. Rather in humility, not in thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationship with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now this word value in the Greek, I love its unique meaning. It, it literally means to, that you value them, that they should go first, that they should lead, that what is mattered, what you value is what matters to them above what matters to you. In a very simple way, it's saying, I actually wanna know what's important to you. Now, now we would all say, well, I get that. That's an important piece. I want to do that. But I wanna give you a picture of it. Kind of a unique way to think about it. And I'm gonna take you back to something. It'll seem silly at first, but I think it has meaning for us. I would assume most of us know what a kiss cam is. If you don't, a kiss cam is something you'll see oftentimes when you're at some kind of sporting event and they'll go around, they'll find what they, who they think is a couple and they'll put the camera on them and it'll have a heart around them and they'll wait until they, they kiss. Now, one of my favorite ones is this man and woman are looking, she keeps looking at them and he's looking like, no. And he finally holds up a sign that points to her and it says, sister. I just love that, like, wrong place here. Well, in this particular one I'm gonna show you, it's an older one from a Bulls game. There's this couple that they go to, and she turns to the guy, he's on the phone, and the first time he just says no. And it goes on, shows some other people kissing. A second time, she starts hitting him in the arm, he says no again, they go around again. It comes around a third time. And I'm gonna take you just to this moment, and I want you to see what happens on this third time. Here he is, he's a Celtics fan, which makes it worse too. You can see she's about had it with him. Come on, what are you doing? Why aren't you gonna kiss me? And this is the Bulls uh, mascot. Now watch the role they take. They decided he's a schlep and so they show him. I love this. And he carries the sad damsel away. <laughs> so sad they go back to the poor schlep here too. Like, it's great, you know, it looks all wonderful. Now, hi. I'm a loser, oh well. <laughs> now that seems silly and light, but I want you to consider it this way. It's a great idea to say put others' interests before yours. But like that young man, we are on a phone with our own circumstances. And we often view someone coming to us as an interruption, not an invitation. And I picture as silly as it is that mascot being the heart of God going, I can't believe you're not seeing this and hearing the invitation, but because it's different than what you think you need, 
you see it as an interruption. And the heart of God is just broken over it. Now, I don't think he pours drinks on us, though I think it would be quite humorous if he did, unless it were me, that he did it too. But maybe we should start thinking about it that way. You know what? Really what it means to find joy in community is I just start asking a simple question, what can I do for you? I stop looking at it from my perspective and start going, I wonder if I can understand what they're really asking for. Do you know most of the time when someone's upset with you, upset with me, there's an unmet need, there's an ache, and they just aren't communicating it well. I wonder what it would be like if you and I started to consider this differently and we started to hear Paul's very words. Listen, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others. Put them in the lead and think about what they need. Not just your own interest, but what they need. This is not exclusion to your own, it's in addition to, and it's putting them before. Now, if you wonder, where does this come from? Why is this mindset true in the life of the church? Why does Paul make this so central? I wanna take you back to Jesus' teaching. I wanna take you back to what he says. This is in John 15. And he's had this long exchange with his disciples. It's called the upper room discourse. It just means he's hanging out in a room and things are about to go south. He's about to be taken away and ultimately sacrificed and died. And he wants to be clear on what matters. And he says this, I've told you this. All that he's been talking about is how they connect to him and how they stay connected. And he's now been sharing with them this principle of remaining in his word and responding to what he teaches. And he says this, this is why I tell you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Same thing, overflowing. In other words, he's saying, if you together, and by the way, I didn't even mention this earlier, but going all the way back to Philippians, when you hear you, your partnership, every you in there is plural. Every time Paul's writing, he's talking about the community and Jesus is the same way. It's both individual and collective. You take personal responsibility for how we do this, not how your life goes away or goes, in, goes on. Jesus simply is saying here, guess what? Together, there's a joy you can have that you can't have alone. You can't get it to overflowing by yourself. It will take more than just you alone. And now he's gonna describe what that is that causes it. My command is this. He's actually giving a command, an imperative. You need to do this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now I wanna pause before we talk about what this means for us. Because one of the beautiful things of how we understand this kind of sacrificial life, this focus on others that brings joy, is we start with what we've received. We start with not anything we do. This is not something we step out in so God will be happy with us. This is in response for what he's done for us. It always stops me and I get to this point where I just go, okay, so what it comes down to is, in every place I'm most ashamed of and struggle most, those things that I wish would get better, that I wanna fix for no one to see and even for God to be maybe happy with me, Jesus comes to lay down his life and die for me, to take his life instead of mine, to let him die my death in the places I never measure up. I'm sorry, but that is unconditional, reckless, unconquerable, unquenchable love. 
Paul describes it this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So before we ever think about how we give and help others, how we move in joy, we have to respond to the joy we receive in knowing the God of the universe loves us so much to say, you take the worst thing you think about yourself, you take all the things you're trying to overcome, stop. Just let me love you and take that on. I found recently in my own journey, in those quiet times, I sit with a journal more and more instead of trying to fix things, just telling God, I don't know what to do here. I don't even know how to fix it, so I don't tell you about it. I just need you to meet me and show me your love in it. I wonder, and I know, I shouldn't even say I wonder, I know there's some of you today that you really haven't discovered that kind of love. There is so much conditionally for you. And probably you're either really hard on yourself and constantly going, I work hard, but it's never enough. Or you're at this place, you're like, I can't even work anymore. There's no way I'd ever be able to recover. And I would go, guess what? Greater love has no one than he lays down his life for his friends. Jesus says, you are my friend. Hey, you want joy? Just stop, don't do anything. Just receive it. And so before we go on, I wanna stop and guide any of you through a prayer. I think God's prompting some of you right now to go, I need to receive this. And I'm gonna ask you, maybe you're uncomfortable with who else is in the room, just keep looking. Maybe you can close your eyes and bow your heads, but I want you to pray this with me. Lord, thank you that you love me so much that you die for me in the deepest, darkest mess of who I am, that I no longer have to try to do enough because you are enough. Lord, help me to receive your love, to receive your forgiveness, and to receive the joy of who you are in my life. And then just ask it in Jesus' name. And if you responded to that today, you'll see on the bottom of the screen here, you can text this number and just text the word saved. If you today are saying, I wanna know more, just text the word searching. If you're nervous about it with your friends and family, just pretend that you're going on Instagram. I don't even care what you have to say to them. I just want you to be able to respond and let God meet you and help you. Now I say that as well to those of us who would say we follow Jesus because it's the anchor of this, but Jesus is now saying, you do what I do. You don't just pass it on. You don't just receive it. I'm now inviting you to live in a new way. In other words, I want you now to reach out and say, how can I do something for someone else instead of just receiving from me? Well, it's a wonderful picture and it sounds great, doesn't it? But at the end of the day, let's admit it's really hard to do. Let's admit that we're much more like the guy sitting by the kiss cam going, I got things going on in my ear and my way. And the beauty is we need the Holy Spirit's help. Holy Spirit, I need you to even start tuning into the people around you. I need you to show me what others' perspectives are. Do you know the reason the early church had such high impact was it was part of a culture that people made distinctions only being friends with those that were like them. They were broken down by gender, by caste, by ethnicity, by all sorts of other parts of life. And the reason the early church took off is all of those barriers just dissipated. People stopped caring how much you have. They stopped caring where you were from. They stopped caring about your educational background, your ethnicity, your diversity, your different perspectives, your political ideology. And they said, guess what? In Jesus, that's what matters. And people took notice. 
It's because somehow people would actually love each other unconditionally, not based on being similar. Man, I, I don't think it's a complex thing to ask you. If you want more joy, do something for someone. It's funny, I wanted to not have to write else because actually grammatically you shouldn't have to say this. I only put it in parentheses because if you're like me and you say do something for someone, you might say this, I'm someone, <laughs> someone else. It's the only reason I put that for those of you who are challenged like I am. Now, it's a simple ask. Maybe this week you start asking God, what would you have me do for someone? Maybe you start asking questions of what they need around you. I wanna give you another simple application for all of us. This week, we are starting a four-week, really kind of a unique study called The Art of Neighboring. If you are in any kind of serving group, you've probably already received an email about it. And even if you, you'll get one again after our services today, that I wanna encourage you to jump in. It's a half hour for four weeks. Half hour a week, that's all. But it's a step to learn, how do I start asking how I can do something for someone else? By the way, one of the things that's clear about the life of the church is we are not a closed community. It's not, well, I do these special things for people that are part of my family. It's everyone you know can be part of your family. You see, we love everybody this way, not just those who subscribe or think the way we do. And so we'd love you to jump into the study called The Art of Neighboring. Now, for those of you who won't get this email, who don't know about it, who aren't part of any serving teams, the hosts will be putting this up in a minute. I'm going to lead this half hour interaction. It's a really unique, it's a short video that we watch between five and 10 minutes. And then I guide you in some conversation. And even if we're larger, we'll break into smaller groups just through Zoom. And that will be online. You have to register for it. But I would love, all I'm asking you for is a half hour a week for four weeks that we think it's a great next step, you and I, and even in a time like this, we've forgotten who our neighbors are and how we care for them. What a great step you can take. Hey, you want more joy? Do something for someone. That's a simple step we want you to take is into this study. And it'll be really fun. I'm excited about doing it. My study is gonna be on Wednesday nights from seven to 7.30. Even have little kids, man, I, I, I give you permission, put a video on, whatever you need for them. Give them a half hour. Whatever it will take that you can be part of this. But let me take it one step further. Do you want your joy to overflow? Do something for someone who isn't like you. One of my biggest aches in the life of the church, this is all over, is that in some ways we're the most segregated. And I don't simply mean that by ethnicity, though it's part. We're segregated by all sorts of things. Churches become little pockets where everybody looks like, talks like, acts like us. That's not what Jesus came to bring. He actually came to bring a community that could find unity in all its differences. And yes, it's more complicated and no way can you do this on your own. But surrendered people that keep discovering the love of Jesus, guess what, we can. We can cross lines of age differences. We can cross lines of all sorts of different perspective differences, different economic packages, different perspectives on life from politics to ideologies guess what? The church crosses them. And we do something for people that are not like us. Because it's in doing that we discover they are more like us and definitely made in Jesus' image. You want to find more joy together is the only way you'll find it, not alone. Let me pray for us today. Lord, I ask that you would meet each one today that we would continue in this partnership you have in the gospel, that we would grow 
in you together, that we would discover and increase the radical love, our understanding, and the way we reach out to others, that we would move from selfish ambition and vain conceit to valuing, to putting others in the lead ahead of us. God, that we would do things for others and even more do things for people that are not just like us, discovering your heart, your way, your vision, your love. I pray joy will increase because we increase as a community in depth and in breadth. I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.